You know, when we lift up the name of Jesus, the Holy Spirit moves in power because that's what the Holy Spirit came to do, for, to point us towards Jesus. And um, I'm just believing God's going to take us deeper and deeper uh, into the things of the presence of God. And, um, and you know that God works by faith. And there's a thing, um, there's a, within um, our circles where we call it faith expectation, and uh, faith expectation is, is we get, means, simply means we get what we expect, amen? So I'm asking uh, and trusting for all of us to partner together over the week, uh, not a, um, when we come on a Sunday, that we come full of faith, expecting God to move in power, signs, wonders, and miracles. And today we're going to continue looking at um, who we are and what we believe, um, our vision, our values, and our statement of faith. And uh, this is going to be quite a long journey because it's a huge, huge topic. And uh, if many of you know, I can go on quite a few rabbit trails when I preach uh, and so on. But I'm going to try and stick to my notes more and more over this time because there's so much that we need to cover. And if you come to the looking of in lunch, you will hear a little bit more about these things. But I feel it's important for anyone looking for a church that they know what the church stands for and what they, what they believe. So this is a good time of the year to do that. And I encourage you, wherever God sends you, there are many good, good churches that you, you get, uh, participate in what they're doing and get behind their vision and values. Amen? Great. Amen? Amen. Amen. <laughs> yeah. So it says this in Habakkuk 2, verse 2 to 3. And uh, the prophet encourages us to write down the revelation. This is paraphrased, I've done it here, or vision. And make it plain on tablets so a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits for appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It certainly will, uh, will, will not delay. We've got to write down a vision and we've got to trust God and wait for the fulfillment of it. I don't believe that... Uh, uh, any vision statement will be finished uh, before the return of Jesus Christ because, um, as you'll see, our vision and our values, as we speak to them, our vision is as big as a small as we want it to be. And so our vision, which we would call our dream, is simply this, but simply but profound, to know Jesus and to make him known. One little statement like that, but so much in it. It's a lifelong journey of getting to know Jesus, and uh, we have the responsibility as children of God, as ambassadors of Christ, to make him known. And uh, our mandate, in, in other words, uh, our mandate to do this, to facilitate this as a church, is we want it to be a gathering, healing training, sending church. And we keep these things short so that you can remember them. We want to know Jesus and we want to make him known by being a gathering, healing, training, sending church. What does that mean? We want to gather together. We want to gather with, um, with um, our friends and family, with the priesthood of all believers, but we also want to gather in the lost. And we want to see people healed um, physically, spiritually, mentally, and emotionally. And the greatest way and the greatest doctor uh, in the universe is the Holy Spirit that can come heal and set us free. So we want to make space for the Holy Spirit. Then we want to train and equip people 
And then we want to send them out to their neighbors and the nations. And we have this young couple going to uh, India, we, uh, I mean England. We have this other, uh, another couple, a family that we're going to pray out next week to go and join Russ and Glenn, who's a couple that we planted out uh, into Edmonton. And uh, I love the gathering, healing, training part, but the sending part is always the hardest because we love our people, but we know that that's God's plan. And you see, we want to be a church commissioned and empowered by Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit to fulfill the Great Commission. We're an apostolic community with an apostolic mandate. The word apostolic simply means sent ones. We want to be a we have a gathering mandate, but it's also a sending mandate and a giving mandate and a serving mandate. So you'll hear those gathering, gathering, giving, sending, and serving mandate. It says this in Proverbs twenty nine eighteen, paraphrase two: Where there's no vision, our people perish or cast off restraint. And this is when we feel like perishing or giving up. It's our vision that keeps us going. And our vision is Jesus Christ. And that's the power of a church, a church motivated by dreams and visions and not by manipulation or control. We don't simply gather to fulfill a religious duty, but are encouraged and trained and equipped for works of service. A mandate to take what we have learned and simply spread it to our neighbors and the nation. This church exists here today because Deborah and I and our family in 1997 were sent by a church in South Africa to plant it. And uh, we planted it in Nanaimo. We didn't know one one Christian in the city, but God has blessed us over the years. And so it works. And there are many. And within New Covenant Ministries, we have churches in um, over 60 countries around the world now sending people all over the world to fulfill their call. I have a friend, Ian McKellar, he's on the same team as me, he wrote a book called The Violence of Change, and he speaks of dreams and visions there, and he says this, if one kills a controller, it causes chaos and confusion. If one kills a manipulator, it does the same. But if one kills a dreamer, people who have caught the dream will continue the dream. And we want to dream big in God, he, he then references Genesis 37, verse 20, 19 to 20, speaking of Joseph. He says, here comes a dreamer. They said to each other, his brothers, come now, let him kill, us kill him. Then we'll see what uh, comes of his dreams. This was the motivation of Martin Luther when he, um, in his speech, I have a dream. You see, the powerful thing about a dream is once you, you can kill a dreamer, but you can never kill a dream once it has been caught by a community. And our heart is, and Deborah and mine, whether we're here for a long time or little, that people will um, take hold of this dream to glorify Jesus with everything they do and spread it to the neighbors and the nations and build on the shoulders of the ones that have gone before them. You see, once... It's caught and simply not taught. It becomes yours. In Acts chapter 2, verses 17 18, we see that a people, God's people, will be a people of dreams and visions and prophecy. This is what God's called. Many will say that dreams, visions, prophecy, the move of the Spirit were for the early church. But interesting, and and as Peter begins his first preach ever uh, in Acts chapter 2, he says this, In 
the last days. God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see dreams, uh, see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. Across the world, if you, if you are connected to what God is doing, we've seen this all over the world, mainly in third world company, countries, where people are being saved. Many Muslims are coming to Jesus Christ through visions of Christ. And if you Google that online, you will see it through YWAM and all of those where, where they are they're praying uh, to an, uh, their God and God Jesus uh, arrives on the scene. See, last week we focused on our dream, and that is to know Jesus. And Paul Paul speaks of this in Philippians 3, verse 10 to 12. He writes this, this man that went to the third heaven never got tired of knowing Jesus. And he says, I want to know Christ, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, so that some are attaining the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all of this or have already arrived, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ has taken hold of me for. I just think of this over and over. This man writing to the church in Philippi from jail. Within a couple of years of this, he nearing the end of his life would be crucified for his faith. And he still wanted to know more about Jesus. This man that wrote almost two-thirds of the New Testament never got tired of knowing Jesus. You see, knowing Jesus is a lifelong journey of personal revelation and application. We cannot, church, live on second-hand revelation. We need it ourselves. And that's why the Holy Spirit was there, to point us to Jesus and uh, to help us with our revelation of who the Christ is. And often if we're working in second-hand revelation, well, the thing is, it has a shelf life. And it's a daily walk with Jesus. It's not a Sunday event, we'll see that, but a daily walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. One of the things we want to apologize for in this church is you'll hear the name of Jesus often. You see... Last week, in a nutshell, we looked at knowing Jesus. It's such a big subject, and um, I get quite overwhelmed when I'm just studying more about Jesus. And I had this picture of getting to know Jesus is like fully, the side of eternity, is like being at the ocean and trying to drink it with a teaspoon. It's so deep, so wide, and he wants us to know him. He wants a personal relationship with him. But we looked at two primary areas that the New Testament introduces Jesus to the world last week. I'm just going to um, recap that for you. First, he reveals Jesus as the Son of God. John 14, 9, the apostles are asking him about the the way and, and who is God and how do we know God. And he simply says this, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. What he's saying, if you get my heart, you'll get the heart of the Father. And as the Son of Man, he came to reveal how God intended us to live. 
Jesus says a man walked among us, breathing, speaking, laughing, weeping, suffering and dying. He lived a life of generosity and joy. He taught, he healed, he prayed. He did not compromise his message. And he challenged us to live by God's standards and show us what kind of relationship we were meant to have with God the Father. The relationship that Adam had before the fall and Jesus as the second Adam came to restore a relationship broken by sin in and through his son Jesus Christ. And on the cross at Calvary he took upon himself the sin of the world and he encouraged us in his word through the apostle Paul to live a life worthy of the calling we receive. This is a high calling church. It's a high calling, a life that would bring honor and glory to him. That as ambassadors of Christ, we would represent him well in word and deed. You see, I often speaking to people, and when they find I'm a pastor, it, it can be quite reactionary for some of them, and I don't mind that at all. But often, I don't know how often, that people, when you really get down to the nitty-gritty, aren't angry with Jesus. It's the church. It's the way he's been represented to them. And in a way, many of us represented Christ wrong in our lives, and Jesus forgives us. But we need to understand that when people see us, as they saw, the, as the disciples saw Jesus in the flesh, and through that they could tap into the Father's heart, as they see us, Jesus uh, followers, Christ Christians, Christ in us, they should get a glimpse of what Jesus is like. And here's the key. He not only challenged us to know him, but in and through the power of the Holy Spirit to make Jesus personally known. So often, this is a two-way thing. We often come and we learn about Jesus but there's way much more than that. You see, what's the point of spending a lifetime getting to know Jesus if we don't make him known? A Jesus-following church cannot simply be defined by buildings, by preaching, teaching, or worship, or prayer and fellowship. And all of those are absolutely necessary and biblical. Hebrews 12 tells us that we to gather and not to neglect gathering as the saints. Why? So that we can encourage one another. Can we can put courage one another all the more as we see the day um, coming. And we need to see this, and I've said this over and above, this is the, the, the half time or the period between the game. This is where we come together after a week out in the world being Jesus followers and representatives of Christ. And this is where we come to be trained, equipped, encouraged, and, and mutually empowered by the Holy Spirit. You see, it's not only defined by us meeting, but it's defined also by the mobilization of the priesthood of all believers. And I want to preach on that in a few weeks' time. You see, there's the greatest thing, um, threat to the kingdom of darkness is not a few preachers or teachers or prophets um, um, around the world, but it's the most mobilization of the priesthood of all believers, the priesthood that believes who they are in Christ 
and the incomparably great power that they have. And the enemy knows that. So he will distract us from many things because if we stay within this building, he has really nothing to fear. But if we go out there in the power of the enemy and start taking back ground, things change. You see, he is, God is raising up a priesthood in love with Jesus and in love with each other. That's why we gather. Understanding that we are all equal in calling before God but different in function. I don't have any more of Jesus or any more of the Holy Spirit. A prophet, an apostle, an evangelist does not have any more than you and I. We are all co-heirs with Christ and heirs of God. We need to see that, church, that there's no higher calling or standing in the universe than being a co-heir with Christ. Everything else from there, and that's our function, because we get our function, our identity from him, and not from our function. So I'm a co-heir with Christ, you're a co-heir with Christ, and my function at this stage is to lead this church. Your function may be to serve at the door, to set out chairs, uh, any of those things, but every single one of those functions are important because how many of you have known that it would be a bit difficult to stand for an hour and a half if nobody put the chairs out? And if the chairs went out, that would be the most important function missing. God says, because he says, everything we do, we do it as unto the Lord. And I want to remind you, church, when we volunteer, when we go out, and when we evangelize, and when we do things, that we are not serving the elders or the pastor. We're serving Jesus Christ. We're able, able um, uh, through our, our, our serving, we create an atmosphere, an atmosphere where the Holy Spirit can move in power amongst us. So we're all equal in calling. And Matthew 15 says that we will cast out dealing, demons. We will lay our hands on the sick. They will recover. Uh, we'll even go to nations and maybe drink some poison. Please don't test that at home. But, uh, but it's there for us to heal us and deliver us. We have the incomparably great power. Ephesians chapter 2 says that is for us who believe. And Ephesians 2 says that every single one of us have that power, and that power is like the working of his mighty strength that he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And the enemy is so afraid that we might believe that. He's so afraid that we might be believing believers. That we'll take this word of God as it is. That we don't add to it, we don't subtract to it. We say, God, you said in my name, in your name, I can do this, Lord Jesus. And I'm going to try and I'm going to go. And maybe it doesn't work out all the time, but at least I tried. Isn't it like a kid? You say, just do this, do this, do this. And they say, no, I'm afraid, I'm afraid. And they do it and they crash and burn or fall over and they're crying and all of that. What is the, what is the first thing a father say? Man, I'm so proud that you tried I'm so proud that you tried. And that's how God the Father is with us. He has a big smile. And I, I have this picture of God. He's not this big stern guy where, um, trying to beat us on the head every time we make a mistake. I see him with an incredible smile on his face. Especially when we try. <laughs> especially when they're out there. I think God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit must look at us sometimes and just say, Man, that was hilarious. Look what that guy did. (laughs) 
I think they've got a sense of humor. They've got a sense of humor because look to the person next to you. You'll see his sense of humor. Look at me. (laughs) You see, we need to understand that. That we are a royal priesthood empowered by God the Holy Spirit and commissioned by God the Son to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. His intention has always been for disciples to make disciples. We've got to break this traditional mindset that we come to church. Or that church is a building we go to. No, we as the priesthood of, of all believers, we as disciples of Christ, come together as the church. I'm so glad we meet in the gymnasium because it's way easier to remember that. We come to a gymnasium. We don't come to a church. We are the church and we gather the church, as the church to be trained and equipped for works of service. To be encouraged, to be empowered. Each one doing its work. Go and read um, Corinthians 12. We're the body. And your hand can't say to the foot, I have no need for you. And these kind of things. We need each other. And when we begin to understand that we have responsibility. And this responsibility isn't just to show up on a Sunday for an hour or two. Or on a Wednesday for an hour or two. And those are extremely important. Because when you take a coal, coal out of a hot fire. And we've got the Holy Spirit here. When you take one coal out and you put it on the edge. Which coal goes out? That's the one. And that's why we have to press in. But this is not, this is not the end goal. This is, this is not what God intended us to do all our lives, to compartmentalize our Christianity. You see, we, so we're called. You see, God never intended the, the Christianity to simply consist of a series of events and meetings, but a lifestyle of love, forgiveness, and acceptance lived out in our community for the greater community. Our community here, we love forgiven and set here for the greater community. We can't give what we don't have. And if we as Christians can't get on, how the heck are we going to get on with the people out there? And that's why it's so important. You see, I was just thinking of this, that we're so good, and I'm so good of compartmentalizing my life. Little story when I got saved, Deborah was saved two years before me. And um, we just at that stage, I don't know why, we had a, a group that would go on the streets like we do here. And it was absolutely phenomenal. It was the highlight of our week to see what God would do through unschooled, ordinary people like us when we trusted Him outside of them. We want God to move in here. We want God, the Holy Spirit, in here. And yes, but what, for what for? so that we can get boldness, so we can be healed, so we can be set free to go and represent him out in the world. In this city, the crazy thing is um, there's about over, there's over 100,000 people here, and you'll see that. And um, I think in the ministerial I heard, there's less than 5,000 that go to church. So that means we could have 95 churches of 1,000 to get the city. 
That means we could go, uh, we have a mission field right now, and we'll talk about that. You see, the enemy is not afraid of us doing our work, weekly worship thing, if that's all it's about. If what we do all about is gathering at the expense of going. He wants to contain the effectiveness of the church within its four walls for a few hours a week. And he has a strategy. Ephesians 6, go and read that, about spiritual warfare. He says, do not be unaware of the devil's schemes. Those are his people. We are God's people. He doesn't want God's people to go and hang, hang out with his people because he knows where light comes, darkness must flee. When we go in authority and we see people set free by the power of the Spirit, when we lay our hands on the sick and they begin to get healed, even if they don't the first time, second time, third time, keep praying. Don't give up. Because it's not dependent on what we think or feel, it's dependent what, on what the Word of God says. And Mark 16 clearly says, we will lay our hands on the sick and they shall recover. We will cast out demons. And I want to see that. I want to see that here. And I believe that's where God is taking us. I believe the anointing in this church is growing and growing because I believe we're starting to push out outwards more and more. Interesting, the story about the two um, seas in, um, in Israel. I believe it's a prophetic picture. You've got the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea. Do you know, maybe you didn't know this, that the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea are both sourced by the Jordan River. One river, two seas. One is dead and one is full of life. You see, the disciples took, caught so many fish they couldn't even contain them in a boat. And what is the difference between the two? One has an outlet and another one doesn't. We could use our body. And I don't want to be crass in this, but if we didn't have an outlet, we'd be in big trouble. And we are the body of Christ. I know that I don't, excuse me for that. That just came through me now. I'm a, <laughs> but think about it. You see, we're so focused on ourselves and influence something, and I'm talking to myself, please. I'm not talking to you. Remember when you preach something, you have spent some time with God, and there's all those fingers looking back at you. So I have had to do some work with God and spend with God and, and repent and do with the things that I did at last. But he is really afraid of the priesthood of, of uh, all believers who are trained and equipped to go and make disciples. A people who follow in the footsteps of Jesus, thereby fulfilling the Great Commission. Understanding that the Great Commission is not only a good idea for Christians who can afford to travel, but God's plan of salvation for the whole world, starting in Nanaimo, and of course, going to the end of the world. And because I can compartmentalize my life, and I'm sure we all can, well, I'm going on a mission trip. We got one to Mexico, and we got um, in Haiti, uh, January, we'll, I'll be going to Haiti again, and those things, and then, and I can compartmentalize my evangelism to those series of events. 
But our primary mission field starts outside this door. Why did he put us here uh, if it wasn't to reach the people here? And what we do here gives us credibility out there. And the best things we can do to evangelize is in word and deed. Let your light so shine before men that they might see your good deeds. As we start loving people, because if it's not love-based and it's religious-based, people won't accept it. But nobody can accept unconditional love. So when we offer somebody a cup of water, as Jesus says, in his name, when we go to the jails, that he says, in my name, when we go to the hospital, in his name, when we give a cloak to someone, when we go to an old age home, when we go somewhere in the name of Jesus, he says, you are doing that as unto me. And church, can you imagine, just dream a bit, if the few hundred people that we have in this church just reach one person this year. We have a a substantial amount of people here, and I'll just take a random figure. Um, If it's 500, and by the end of the year, each one of them reached one, the church would be a 1,000. And by the end of next year, just one, the church would be 2,000. And in three years, it would be 4,000 people. Just each one reach one. Isn't that amazing? That's how easy it is. We think we've got to be like Billy Graham and you know, God bless him in heaven right now and his rewards and, and so on. We need the Billy Grahams. We need the apostles. We need the evangelists. We need the prophets. We need all of those people. But each one should be... Praying to God, that includes me to reach one. And the way we build a, 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 a bridge is through good deeds, through loving. And I'm not wanting to point this to me because it happened by default, but I have two um, single moms each side of me with old parents living with them and some really old people across the road from us. And um, one day in the, in the, in the snow... I shoveled my driveway, and the lady next door, I could hear this <laughs> on her driveway. It was a big hedge. I could have been. And I felt God say, go and shovel the driveway. You know what? I looked at my watch. I'm going to be late. Oh, no. I don't really feel like doing this. So I had a really stinking attitude. But I went across next door, and I said, can I, can I um, scrape your driveway? Hoping she would say no. She said, please, I'm telling you, that one thing opened a door today. She's not saviour, but I'm telling you. Then it was the lady on the other side because how could I do the one and not the other? And now it's across the street once or twice. So, hey, here's the pa- I heard one guy say, hey, here's the pastor from the church that cleans driveways. <laughs> it is so easy. I was embarrassed afterwards at my attitude. Even a good deed done with a bad attitude is, no, is better than no good deed at all. And we don't then all of a sudden, well, I've done this because you're going to die and go to hell, so I want to tell you the gospel. No, we create a, we create a platform of love. They start opening up more. They're saying, listen, man, I have this now, and so on. And then you can say, well, hey, can I pray for you? Let me tell you that I was like that. I was totally out of control. And Jesus saved me. See, they might reject it. They might even scream. Blessed are you when they say all manner of things about you. Blessed are you when they start screaming and shouting or whipping and beating you. Jesus says, you're doing it for me. And you might think, oh, 
They're never going to listen. But what we need to do, understand, is the seed, the word of God, is eternal. It's an eternal seed. And we cannot make seed grow. Only God can make seed grow. But we can create an atmosphere through love and good deeds that when we sow some seed, it takes root in some kind of softened good soil in the hearts. We don't responsible. How many of you could save yourself? So stop trying to save others. Allow the Holy Spirit to do that through you. Yes, there's a time to, to share that. But you will see that in people's lives. They start to listen better. They start to want to know. Your colleagues at work, you start hearing of the issues. And, and you say, hey, man, can I, can I help you out in this? And like me, you might say, oh, no, they said yes. But it's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing when you see that something, you actually feel so fulfilled when you realize it's way more than a snow shovel or a lawnmower or whatever God gives or a cup of water. It's about people knowing that somebody through one little deed somehow cares for them. And we can all do those kind of things. You see, authentic worship has to be a lifestyle. It has to, if we're going to represent Christ. And it has to be a catalyst for mission. It's a lifestyle of compassion that captures the cry and the heart of God in scriptures like this. Romans ten fourteen to 15. We'll look at Isaiah chapter 6 after that. This is the heart of God. I mean, I get undone just thinking of it now. But this is God. Remember there's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Triune three, three persons, one God. We know that and we'll get into that when we do our statement of faith and talk about the Trinity and all of these incredible things. I hope Mark's well enough to help me work through all of those things. It's good to see you guys back there. Mark and Dino are doing well. Let's give them a hand. But it's a heart. It's a heart that God wants. And I see this picture, and I've said this before, even in Psalm 133 where God's talking about unity and his commanded blessing. Just studying that and just start meditating and thinking about if we just came in unity in every area, what the commanded blessing of God would look like. But anyway, I have this picture of God the Father, God the Son. I mean, they, they're one, they, they love each other, they're absolutely um, you know, awesome in everything they do and so on. But I believe they have an incredibly strong relationship and I believe they talk to each other. I believe they're having this conversation. And some of those scriptures like Psalm 133 where it says, I believe it's God speaking to God. Behold how good and pleasant it is that my brethren dwell together in unity. God's a father. What's the best thing in a family? When my kids are in unity. We hold our good. It's like God. And he, he speaks that. And I won't go there because we won't get finished here. But Romans 10 and, and Isaiah 6 are that same kind of thing to me. 
They almost seem like rhetorical questions, but I believe it's God speaking to God through Paul. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news of the Lord. Now, Isaiah had a moment like this in Isaiah chapter 6. In the first few chapters, he, and quite a way uh, through Isaiah, he's talking to the people of Israel, and it's, woe is you, woe is you. You guys got to change, you got to repent, you got to do it. And he's standing as a prophet, sort of out of the picture, saying, woe is you. But God gives him a woe is me moment. And this is what happens in Hebrews, uh, in, in Isaiah chapter 6. It says, in a year, have we got it up there, buddy? Yeah, thank you. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on the throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each one with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another. This is in the very throne room. John has a similar revelation in the book of Revelation. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his journey. At the sound of their voices, the, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. And this is Isaiah's response as he sees God. But not only, I believe, he sees God. He begins to hear and feel the heart of God. And he says, woe is me. I am ruined. For I'm a man of unclean lips, like all of us. And I live amongst the people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand. He had taken with tongues from the altar, and with it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sins atoned for. Aren't we glad that we're not atoned for by a coal from the altar? But our sins have been taken away and atoned by in and through the blood of Jesus Christ on the sacrifice on the cross. You see, when God sees us, he doesn't see us in our sinful state. Otherwise, we could never, ever approach the throne. And we can, Hebrews says, every day. He sees us through Jesus Christ. He sees us holy and dearly loved children of God. He sees us without sin. He sees us in and through Jesus Christ. And so when the enemy comes and says, you, you go somewhere and you start saying, you know, today I'm going to help this person... And on the way, all the wheels fall off and, and you freak out or something happens at work and you're angry and you say, I can't do this. I'm just a sinner. Just no, I can't, but he can. God, I confess this. I want to repent from the sin, but I'm not going to allow it to determine my and that person's destiny 
any longer. And he said this, and then it goes, Then I heard a voice of the Lord say, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Romans 10. And Isaiah, after having this revelation, not only of the glory of God, but he had a revelation, an Old Testament revelation of the grace of God. And he says, here am I, send me. And God is crying for his people. We know in the word, in the word of God, it says that there will be a massive revival before the end of time. And I think in we're looking for uh, another 100 Billy Grahams that will go in stadiums and we need those and do all of that kind of stuff. But no, he's looking at the priesthood of all believers. You understand who they are in Christ, the authority of going and making disciples. And when we look at that in the context of, I don't know, a billion Christians, Imagine if a billion reached one in a year. Two billion. Two billion, four billion. Three years, the whole world could be saved. And I'm, I, I'm just saying that as a mathematical equation. People have to respond. But because we think it's about events, because the enemy has made church an event, because the enemy has made prayer an event, and worship an event, and all of these things are so important, and please come because this is where we get empowered and encouraged. But because it's that, I can walk out this door and in my mind and not consciously but think, I've done my church thing. And maybe I'll go on a Wednesday and we'll do that a bit again, and, and then maybe next Sunday. But God wants to empower us. God wants us to get out of here and say, God, at least I want to try. And do you know why we're together? Because when one falls down and you come all bruised, I tried that and look at me now. Hey, bro, let's pray. Let's encourage each other. Hebrews 10, towards love and good deeds. Let's encourage each other. Let's do it together. And we will see a mighty revival. God wants revival everywhere. When people say God wants to start revival in this city, yes, that's true. But it's no different to Nanaimo or anywhere else. But it's dependent on the priesthood of all believers. Because why would he want thousands to get saved if there's nobody to disciple them, to care for them, and all of that? And some will be the major evangelist, and some will be the teacher, and some will be the prophet, and some will be the pastor, and some will be the apostle in a sense of the oversight. But all of us have power and authority and have commissioned. And I just hope that cry of God, who will go and who will I send? And I want to ask you to pray into them and say, God, what can I do? So when we're asking people to stand up and do this or serve in the church and that, it's not because of us. It's because we want to spread the load so that everybody does, carries their part of the load so that the others can have a break and a rest so that when they come out of here, it's a good experience for them and they are too refreshed to go and be salt and light. And in closing, I would just like us to uh, sing this song.
behind Lifted Up that we started with, I, I believe that was a real moment. Because the first thing the enemy is going to do, this is what he'll do. Remember, we've got to understand that he's a schemer of schemers. First of all, he's going to want you to look inward. And he's going to want you to be condemned. Because what have I done? I've served God all these years and, oh God, I've tried it before. But God says, look up and look outward. And when we fall in the great race that we run in of Hebrews 12, when we trip and when we fall over and we stumble, like a good father, God is not there with a big stick smacking you on the head and telling you to get up and run. What would you do with your kid? If you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Can I have the worship team? How much more? How much more? How much more, God says, will the father? How much more? Just think, you might have been a bad father, a bad mother, whatever, but just think of what you would see as a good father or a good mother. And many of us... Um, have been like that because we were, we were taught like that by our bad parents and so on and so on and it can go on and on. But today's the day to break those things. Today's to say, no, Lord God, I'm going to, in you, make a difference. And when I fall, Lord God, I'm going to see you with a big smile, you helping me up. And you know the craziest thing is when Jesus gives the, the, the great commission, you know, um, after, during his time on earth, after the resurrection, his message was go, go, go. You will be my witness. You will receive power to be my witness in these areas. All authority I've given you, therefore go, therefore go. He, he went to heaven so that we could carry on the job in his name with his power and authority. I was talking to the guys from UCM and, and students, if you're not in UCM, I encourage you at the university. The leaders, the Joel, the guy that leads it, his passion for those people, we're going to come behind them. But I had this picture, meditating on what God's doing in the city and, and uh, uh, VIU came up into my mind. And I began to realize there are thousands of first-generation people there. That if we can get them on fire for God for the three, four years they are here, they will go back knowing their language, they will go with stature, with a degree, and they can be trained and equipped to be missionaries all over the world. If we see the university like that, students, it makes a whole big difference to our, what we're going to do here. And we've got to get in, into that. And God is bringing the nations to the cities. And those nations that are coming to our city have family in dire situations. And if we get them saved, if we love them and care for them, and they can go back, we don't have to learn the uh, get a passport or anything. We just send them right back. In a few weeks' time, we're going to have Marcel and his wife from Haiti, the people I'm working with, we're working with. We're going to go and do some training and equipping there for about 20 churches in Haiti in January. But I'm going to get to Marcel to come and tell his stories and what God can do with a humble man with no money. 
He has a school connected to his church with 600 people and they trust God for every day that they will have one meal because they often don't have one. We have seen in Congo now, we've seen kids' lives being transformed. You know, those kids could be nation breakers. Those kids, why did God uh, bring those kids to that school or to this orphanage? Why? So they could be fed and clothed? No, because he wants to see nations transformed. And if we start looking like that, church, I just, I'm so, I'm overwhelmed this. I've been just meditating on this and saying, God, it's time for the mobilization of the priesthood of this believers. And I just want to sing the song. And I don't want you to think about anything else but Isaiah, like Isaiah. Just sing behind, lift it up. Just sing behind, lift it up. God is recommissioning. God wants to heal. God wants to set free. He can do it in a second. But what years and years of counseling will take. And counseling is important if you need it. So if we can stand and let's just sing this hallelujah and just, Holy Spirit, I pray that you begin to rain down in this place. I pray for your anointing to come and break yokes upstairs in the Sunday school. Here, Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, that your power will release, that healing will be released. And Lord, you said you will give us the Holy Spirit so that we get boldness. And Father God, we are afraid to step out. But you said we will receive power and boldness boldness when you come upon us. So Holy Spirit, even as we sing this song, be high and lifted up. Lord, captivate our hearts afresh.